0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is
1: Believe. Hello and welcome to episode number 211 of the Draft Analyst, presented by the believe sports podcast network do you believe i'm your host Chris chapote and with me as always is tony pauline and we're back this week to go over what we saw in week 10 and look ahead to week 11 on the college football schedule last week saw several top 10 teams play closer than expected games alabama we'll get to that later ohio state and cincinnati all won by just single digits as did oregon but that was a little more expected and then Purdue upset another top five team in Michigan State. And UNC won a shootout against number nine, Wake, behind six rushing TDs, two from Sam Howell. That doesn't even mention Matt Corral at Old Miss, topping Malik Willis and Liberty in a game that might feature the top two quarterbacks taken in the 2022 draft. So really a lot to take in from the weekend, Tony. What stood out to you? I think that, uh,
0: number one, Cincinnati is not playing their best football at the worst time. I do believe that they uh, should be in the top four for the college football rankings. As Chris and I speak, uh, the rankings were released, I believe last night. Once again, Cincinnati Bearcats are on the outside looking at number five. I do find it kind of suspicious that Ohio state who has one loss in Ohio state is in sort of a similar situation that, uh, that Cincinnati is in that they can't put teams away, had a very tough game against Nebraska is in that four spot. So I, I mean, I, weren't too many exciting games or games that should have been exciting this weekend. The Wake, North Carolina game was, uh, was a pretty good game. Uh, but those college football rankings or college football playoff rankings uh, seem to be uh, interesting as we, as weeks go by. And Oklahoma looks like they have no shot,
1: despite the fact that they're nine and zero. Now, before we get into this week's show, Tony, we have to discuss former Raiders cornerback, Damon Arnett, who was cut this week. After videos surfaced this weekend of him holding a gun and making death threats, certainly was not the only issue that Arnett has dealt with since entering the league. And Mike Mayock even admitted when he cut him that there were significant concerns about Arnett that the team thought they could help get him through. Obviously was not able to do so. Um, something you reported on before the 2020 draft, Tony, uh, specifically it was him not taking combine training seriously. Uh, but certainly there were concerns around Arnett. Now, that report, you got a ton of blowback on it because Arnett actually responded to you saying that he left to witness his baby being born. And you know, then his trainer as well at Exos came out and defended him. But regardless, um, you know, you expressed some concerns. The concerns have kind of been brought to light here this past week. I'll let you run with this one and, and kind of see what you have to say about this whole thing now. Yeah, I don't revel in the fact that, you know, a young guy who is incredibly
0: talented is his own worst enemy. And I kind of said it at the time in the February of 2020 podcast that we did that uh, I was taken back by what I heard because I was such a fan of Damon Arnett's film. Now, just to revisit, this was right before the uh, 2020 Combine, the last actual Combine that we've had. And as Chris mentioned, my report was that I had been hearing that Damon Arnett had not been taking his Combine training seriously. There were a lot of red flags. There were a lot of character concerns. And I equated it to DeAndre Baker, the cornerback from Georgia, who a year before on this podcast, I mentioned the same things when Chris and I did the show. And as Chris Chris said, I don't know if it was uh, Damon Arnett said he was there for the birth of his child or he went to visit his, his young son or whatever it was. I mean, all hell broke lo- loose. And I got hammered on uh, uh, on Twitter because of it. Uh, I did not withdraw the report. I did not apologize because people who gave me the information said, don't worry about it. This is all true. And it's going to eventually come to fruition. Now, (laughs) I probably looked like a bigger idiot when Damon Arnett was surprisingly selected in the first round that year of the 2020 draft. But all along, I had been hearing, uh, you know, really negative reviews about Damon Arnett to the point where after this year's draft, when the Raiders made the uh, selection or the surprising selection of Alex Leatherwood, which has not worked out, I mentioned that Damon Arnett had uh, one foot out the door with the Raiders. And I think when you go back and you look, he played in 13 games over the past season and a half. He only started four. He never lived up to expectations. It was a, uh, uh, it was a disastrous pick. As you pointed out, Mike, may I confirm what we talked about here in February of 2020, which I got hammered for, that there were major concerns about Damon Arnett's character leading up to the draft, but they chose him anyway. Why did they chose him? Well, right after the draft, I had uh, wrote a report that the reason Arnett was the selection was the Raiders had one of his high school coaches on staff, and the high school coach really lobbied to get Damon Arnett, and I guess they figured that they could work everything out for him and they would get him back to where he was Uh, In 2018, when he played some outstanding football. I'm not happy that this happened to Damon Arnett. I'm actually kind of sad. But I got to tell you, you know, you have a lot of geniuses on Twitter who don't do any of their research, who really went off to the point of being abusive uh, against me. And that's fine. Chris and I dealt with this stuff when we broke the report here that there was a major rift between Adam Gase and Mike McKagan. And that was the night before the 2019 draft. And I got hammered for two weeks being called the liar and all kinds of other stuff. We saw how that turned out. I mean, there was one guy who I believe uh, was a former food critic who was now an editor of an NFL site. Don't know how that happens. Uh, told me that it was disgusting that I uh, had all these reports. And of course, no one comes back and says, yeah, you were right. They did uh, with the McCagnan and gay uh, story. Uh, a lot of people said, hey, you know, we were wrong. Um but again, yeah, I, I don't revel in the fact I don't take a victory lap or anything that this has happened with Damon Arnett. I think it's kind of sad. You look at what's going on with the Raiders literally the past couple of weeks. Gruden has to resign because of emails from 10 years ago. You have the absolute tragedy with Henry Ruggs, uh, a young lady uh, died in a, car, in a fiery car accident. I mean, could it be more horrendous with the dog? And now you've got Damon Arnett. Uh, you know, you have to see what happens with the uh, with the Raiders moving forward. Uh, It does not look good. I believe it all starts at the top. Uh, But again, Chris and I reported the story back in February of 2020. We got hammered for it. We were called all kinds of names. I was called all kinds of names.
1: And lo and behold, it all turned out to be true. Yeah. And, you know, it's, yeah, it's been certainly a hell of a a few weeks for the Raiders. Uh, You know, hopefully they can kind of bounce back at least, you know, Derek Carr has taken another step and he's said all the right things, been a good leader. So hopefully he can kind of, you know, help them through some of this really organizational turmoil that, they are going through right now. The Raiders have problems over the summer. I mean, they had four people in their front
0: office, four major people in their front office who had to resign because of the the, the, the belief was, the rumor was uh, financial impropriety. So it's, it really, it, it's been straight downhill. To their credit, somehow they still have a winning record. And, you know, they, they were playing competitive football when Gruden was there. Rich Bazach, who is Literally, right da- uh, from right down the road where I'm at uh, in Yonkers, New York, uh, you know he got them to to win a couple of games off of the Gruden resignation. They did lose a bad game to the Giants. Let's, let's see what happens moving forward with
1: the Raiders. We'll get to this week's show in just a minute, but first a word from our friends at Bet Online. We're back and better than ever with a new web interface for the start of basketball season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Red online remains your
0: number one spot for all the basketball and football action this season. Head to the new updated desktop or mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Believe 50 that's
1: B-L-E-A-V-50, to receive your bonus. Former NFL player Frank Gore in the news recently will fight former NBA player Darren Williams who actually enters it out as a heavy favorite. Really hard to bet against Frank Gore in anything, though, Tony, even if he's giving up six inches in this fight. Yeah, I guess Frank Gore, after playing for Adam Gase for a little while, decided that boxing was a better career path for him. Gotta get some reach out, Tony. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite sports and to bet on retired athletes entering the boxing ring. Bet online, where the game starts. Now, we'll start our Week 10 reviews with another shocking upset by Illinois. 14-6 win over Minnesota. And really, this is kind of like when we watched Wisconsin and Purdue, and we were trying to watch George Karlaftis, and Wisconsin ran the ball 50 times. Well, the I ran it well in this game, too. 46 runs and 10 passes. Uh, Minnesota really couldn't run at all. Uh, it's games like this where the Gophers kind of miss Muhammad Ibrahim, who got hurt in this year's season opener. But a 46-10 to run-pass ratio is certainly going to accentuate the strengths of a player like Vidarian Lowe in his matchup with Boye Mafe. Lowe consistently sealed Mafe out in the run game, as did some of the other Illini blockers as well, including tight ends. Mafe did have four tackles, one of them for loss, but really struggled to get off blocks. Run plays came at him. They were very successful. He can't scrape across the line, though, from the backside and make plays, but anything coming straight at him, you know, was a very positive gain for Illinois. And it's not really a huge surprise considering the skill set that Mafe had when he did win. and it was several times. He won with a very quick first step, has some nice bend to avoid opponents really getting his hands on him. But he struggled to get around Lowe off the edge as well. Lowe got out to the edge very nicely. And I mean, Lowe's a guy, he moves well. He's a talented tackle. He's big, he's strong. He's not a sloth. He's also a very smart, mature guy. I mean, to me, watching this game, a big win for Lowe in his matchup with Maffe and obviously a big win for his team. Uh,
0: especially the latter uh you know i saw good and bad in both players i think low i don't know he's going to be a tackle the next level in fact i moved him from tackle to my guard board i think he's just a little bit overweight I, I mean he's strong he he moves relatively well but he does struggle redirecting to linebackers at the next level i like the way he uses angles as you said he's a smart blocker he's got long arms which he effectively uses I think he's got to lose a little bit of weight, though. He's pushing 330 pounds. I think he's got to get down uh, to the 315, 320 mark. And I think he could potentially be a very good zone blocking guard if he does so. As far as Mafei is concerned, very athletic, very quick, could change direction, moves well around the field, good speed off the edge, showed a nice inside move, plays very hard on every snap, plays through the whistle, but he's sort of a, you know, he's sort of what we used to call a tweener. I mean, he's a linebacker-sized defensive end who can't get off blocks once opponents get their hands on him. Still, you know, the way he plays and the intensity and the athleticism, I think you're looking at a, and he's also a smart guy as well, I think you're looking at a 3-4 outside linebacker, maybe a situational pass rusher who's
1: going to be a day-three pick like Verdanielo. Now, over in the big 12 TCU top Baylor 30 to 28, despite the best efforts of bears wide receiver, Taquan Thornton five catches, 121 yards and two touchdowns on the day had an early score against Travis Hodges Tomlinson in the matchup that we wanted to see in this game. And now Hodges Tomlinson really just couldn't stay with Thornton across the field on that play and a couple others as well. He's too small to really play the ball when he's got loose coverage like that, especially on a taller receiver like Thornton, but, Later in the game, Hodges Tomlinson did create a turnover with a nice play, saw the ball in the air, tracked it nicely, turned around, timed it well, knowing that he was going to play Thornton's hands when he reached for the ball, knocked the ball up in the air, broke up the pass, and had a teammate intercept it in the end zone. So definitely a very nice play there for Hodges Tomlinson. Thornton, though, I mean, really showed a lot in this game. Separated well from Hodges Tomlinson and really anybody else who was trying to cover him. Taxed the ball in the air. Adjusts well to errant throws, has strong hands. His teammate, though, who we also discussed in the preview, RJ Sneed, really a ghost in this one. Two catches, eight yards. Really was the Taquan Thornton show, despite the loss for Baylor. What did you see in this matchup, Tony? Yeah, Thornton was terrific. I mean, he's a long receiver with decent speed,
0: and he showed very consistent hands. I mean, graded primarily as a priority free agent uh, coming into the season. Looked like a definite draft pick the way he played, everyone knew the ball was going to him and they couldn't stop him from catching the ball. And really uh, this was a motivated TCU team. uh, And Thornton was consistently productive throughout the game. I was a little bit disappointed in Hodges Tomlinson. You mentioned the one turnover he had, but for the most part, he just looked like he was late reacting. Obviously we talked about the fact that he's not a big guy and he's going to be overmatched by the taller or bigger receivers. I think that happened. I just, he looked like he was playing back on his heels on a TCU team that was very motivated in a game, or the first game, I should say, after
1: Gary Patterson had left the program. Now heading over to the SEC for our final two reviews from Week 10. The 1st we'll break down Arkansas's 31-28 win over Mississippi State. Now two matchups we watched, one on each side of the ball, and we'll start here with wide receiver Traylon Burks for Arkansas against Martin Emerson cornerback for Mississippi State. Really nice game for Burks in this one. 6 catches, 82 yards and a touchdown, rushed 3 times for 39 yards. I mean, the yard after catch ability just his yak is really obvious. He's hard to bring down with the ball in his hands. We talked about it on the preview. I mean, he is a big guy. Um, you know, he is you could argue he's running back size. So, you know, he's a guy that once he has the ball in his hands, very effective after the catch, mostly effective in this game though on slants And short passes did almost make a a really nice catch for a touchdown early in the game. Just couldn't quite drag his foot. His knee was out of bounds, Um, but he was on a deep route downfield in the end zone. Um, So he did show the ability to get downfield there, but otherwise mostly short passes. Uh, did draw not one, but two pass interference penalties on Martin Emerson. One of those coming on the final drive and kind of kept the drive alive, led to a game winning touchdown for Arkansas. Really overall, not a great game from Emerson. He had as many penalties in this one as he had solo tackles. I'd say Burks definitely got the best of them. Do you agree, Tony? Yeah, without a doubt. In fact, I'd say Burks is more almost move
0: tight end size uh, versus running back size because he's got that sort of build. Now, you know, he's going to have to develop a route tree because he runs short slants. He runs uh, flag patterns around nine, uh, nine routes down the uh, sidelines, and he's able to beat the defenders. Uh, and, you know, he's an athletic guy who catches the ball very well. He wins out on his athleticism. He wins out on his size. But as we've talked about time and time again, he's going to have to learn to run more routes and develop that route tree because he's going to have to separate through his routes, which he hasn't shown the ability to do. I do think that they're trying to run him more routes because in the earlier games, it was basically, you know, just head for the end zone, run as fast as you can and we'll get the ball to you. And he did a great job of it. And now I see a little bit more uh, route running or, or route diversity, if you will, And it's coming along. Emerson, he just can't handle speed. I mean, this is the second game that I've broken him down. Uh, The other one was Alabama. He was slipping and sliding, trying to stay with the Alabama receivers out of their breaks. Uh, He's a guy who I'm told is going to enter the draft. He thinks he's going to be an early pick. I think he's a day three pick. And I think with Emerson, you're really going to have to consider moving him
1: inside the safety because he does not have the speed to play cornerback. Now, when Mississippi State had the ball, We were watching Arkansas defensive tackle John Ridgway and Mississippi State right guard Cole Smith. They didn't really go head-to-head often, might not have even at all really, maybe like one or two plays, uh, because Ridgway mostly lined up over the center in the Razorbacks' three-man line. Did get a lot of push upfield. I mean, once he gets going, it's really hard to stop Ridgway's momentum. He's got good hand moves to get free, extends well, and will just chuck blocks off of him. He uncovers, and then he's right there to make the tackle one or two yards downfield. He takes on double teams, doesn't quit on plays, really impressive player. And he had a very good game in my eyes, even if the stat sheet only shows four tackles, but you can argue four tackles for a nose tackle is truly an outstanding game. Uh, Smith, on the other hand, did not impress, uh, whiffed on too many blocks, whether he was pulling out in motion, blocking in line, getting to the second level. I mean, really struggled to square up defenders when he was on the move, trying to get up to linebackers, didn't hold his blocks long enough either, and really didn't even have to face Ridgeway, as I mentioned in this one. So you know, I found it to be a pretty disappointing performance from Smith. Both Razorback prospects that we were watching in this game seemed to outperform their Bulldogs counterparts. And, and frankly, that's probably a big reason why Arkansas won the game.
0: Yeah, and
1: Arkansas has been very competitive this year, started
0: off strong, lost a couple of games, went for the uh, two points against Mississippi, ended up losing that game by one point because they couldn't make the two-point conversion. Cole Smith, very disappointing this year. I mean, I thought I saw a lot of ability in him in, off the 2020 film when he was a third-year sophomore. It has not improved at all. In fact, you could probably say he's regressed. He was uh backup for the longest time. Conversely, John Ridgway just continues to impress. I mean, Illinois State last year, and I, I watched him since he was a redshirt freshman at Illinois State, and he was a real good player on, on the Division I AA level. Goes to Arkansas, does not miss a beat. He's a big player strong, athletic lineman. I have him graded right now as the fourth round choice. I would not be surprised if he turns into a second day pick. He gets a senior bowl invite and he shows well in those one-on-ones. And I think he's going to show well because, you know, he's not one of these guys who just powers opponents blockers off the line. He can do that, but he's also agile. He's also quick. He also uses his hands well. And again, I mean, Ridgeway has not skipped a beat. Remember he played spring football for Illinois state last year transfers to Arkansas has shown great endurance considering he came off a full spring season, uh, showing outstanding impact. And he's a versatile guy. Like you said, Chris, he lines up at nose tackle. He's an athletic nose tackle who could also be used uh, as a conventional defensive tackle on a four-man front. I think with his athleticism, you could
1: even use him as a uh, two-gap defensive end in a three-man line. Our final Week 10 matchup, LSU kept the game pretty close against Alabama, ended up losing 20-14. They were up 7-0 for a long time in the first half. We were watching this game for the Tigers' offensive line against the Crimson Tide defensive line, particularly Ed Ingram and Jason Hines against Phil Darian Mathis, who had nine tackles, one sack. Just two of those tackles were solo, but really was in on a bunch of plays. You know, a guy who holds his ground well, keeps his head up, sheds blocks to make plays, had a great rip move on Hines and created what looked like a fumble at first glance, was ruled incomplete on replay, correctly ruled incomplete, I might add. Uh, But still, Mathis showed a complete game in this one against both the run and the pass. And I mean, we talked about his versatility on the preview. So Mathis here continues to impress for Alabama. I thought Ingram did a pretty nice job getting movement in the run game. I didn't see too much negative from him. Hines, though, a bit inconsistent in motion. was reportedly playing hurt in this game, which you could kind of see at times. Overall, not his best effort, injury aside. Um, How would you break down what you saw here, Tony? Yeah, Fideris Mathis is a lot like John Ridgway. I mean, he's
0: big, he's strong, they've got similar size. He's explosive. I think Ridgway's got sort of an athletic uh, athletic advantage on, on Mathis, but they're the same types of players. I mean, they're not just gap occupiers. They are defensive linemen, big defensive linemen who will make plays. Hines, I I thought I was not impressed with him. And I liked Hines coming into the season. I liked Hines uh, off the 2020 film. I thought he was a round four interior lineman that could play guard or center. You know, just did not show it. Got pounded a a couple of times, as you mentioned. Uh, I was surprised that he's not been able to elevate his game. Uh, You would think that, you know, with Ed Orgeron leaving at the end of the season, the team would play at a high level and. LSU did. I mean, they kept the game close. I was just not uh, impressed with Hines
1: in, in large part because I had high expectations for him. Now we'll move on to week 11 with three games involving key NFL draft matchups, starting with West Virginia's Dante Stills, a potential day three defensive tackle. He's got plenty of juice already has tied his career high with 11 and a half tackles for loss. Six sacks are one short of the seven he posted in 2019. So several years where he's shown consistent pass rushing ability. He can also stuff the run. He's a three technique type of defensive tackle with a tall frame could probably add some weight without sacrificing athleticism. Uh, I mean, but that weight that we discuss is where his opponent this week, Kansas state guard, Josh Rivas may have the advantage on stills. He's got over 30 pounds on him. Now stills has the definite athletic advantage against Rivas. It's really a classic power versus athleticism matchup here in this West Virginia-Kansas State matchup. Although, I would argue that Stills has better strength than Rivas does athletic ability. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, Rivas is a tackle-sized guard.
0: He is a big hulking lineman who outpositions defenders. He engulfs them and smothers them from the action. Doesn't have the longest arms in the world, which is probably why he's going to be stuck inside a guard. But he's solid. He's a good position blocker. And once he gets his hands on the opponent, game over. Now, Stills is very explosive. He's very quick. He's an athletic interior defensive lineman that can rush the passer, that can penetrate the gaps. I guess the question here is, how does Rivas react and how does Rivas respond to the athleticism and agility that still possesses and can still get off blocks once Rivas gets his hands on him? That's the big thing here because we have to see how the pros of each of these uh, players
1: play against the cons of, of the downside of their games. From the Big 12 to the Pac-12, where the odds-on favorite now to go number one overall in next April's draft is Oregon defensive end Kayvon Thibodeau. He'll face a pair of interesting tackles at Washington State, left tackle Liam Ryan, and right tackle Abraham Lucas. Now, starting with Thibodeau here, just a guy, he's got awesome life. He's a great athlete, plays to the whistle, I mean, really the entire package and everything that you could want in an edge rusher. Sure, he doesn't weigh 275 pounds even, but he's also not even 21 years old yet. So there is plenty of time for Thibodeau to add weight, and it certainly has not been an issue throughout his college career. This year, 28 tackles, 8 for loss, 4 sacks, 2 forced fumbles in 7 games. Looking at someone who doesn't need to add any weight, and that's Cougars right tackle, Abraham Lucas. He's huge. He's around six seven, 320 pounds, but moves well for his size. He can handle defenders against the pass or the run. A day two possibility is definitely in the cards for Lucas. He's certainly no Thibodeau, but definitely has a chance to prove that he can hold his own against an elite edge rusher, which would certainly go a long way towards boosting his draft stock. And Liam Ryan has that same opportunity. He's a bit smaller than Lucas. He started off his career with the Cougars at guard when Andre Dillard manned the blind side. Then Dillard gets drafted by the Eagles in the first round a few years ago. Ryan gets moved out to left tackle. He's more of a day three prospect or a UDFA type, but another player, you know, again, an opportunity when you go up against an elite player like Kayvon Thibodeau, yeah, it's a mismatch, but you're also giving yourself an opportunity to prove that you can hang a little there and, you know, certainly would only help his draft stock if he could show good things against Thibodeau. Not just
0: an elite player, an absolutely dominant player, dominant out of a three-point stance, dominant standing over tackle, dominant up the field and off the edge, a guy who can Make plays in backside pursuit, and Thibodeau plays with a nasty attitude. I mean, he really looks to attack opponents. Right now, he stands atop my draft board at Pro Football Network, far and away the number one prospect heading towards the uh, 2022 NFL Draft, and there I see absolutely no way anyone's going to overtake him for that number one spot. Love them coming into the season was hurt uh, in that Fresno state game when one of his teammates rolled up on his ankle, did not play against Ohio state, which was kind of a bummer because I was at that game. But I mean, he's just come back. I mean, Thibodeau probably could have sat out the season a la Pene last year and still be one of the first three players selected in next April's draft. But he comes back off the ankle injury and he's playing at a high level says a lot about him. As far as Washington State's concerned, I, I think Liam Ryan, I, I, I think it's going to be a struggle for him to get, uh, to get drafted. Uh, maybe he makes a name for himself this weekend against the Thibodeau. I, I think Thibodeau will eat him alive. I do like Abraham Lucas a lot. Like you said, he's a tall, large, wide-body blocker, relatively athletic at the right tackle spot, moves his feet well, good body positioning, does a nice job in pass protection. I mean, Washington State for years, going back to um, when Mike Leach was the coach, they never used a tight end. So the tackles, tackles got to st- stop the opponents or, or the quarterback is uh, going to get eaten alive.
1: So this is a, a huge test for both Washington State tackles. Now sticking on the West Coast, Jaden Daniels and Arizona State got back on track last week with a 31-16 win over USC after two straight losses. Now, the Sun Devils travel to Washington in what should be a hotly contested game, should be a close one. Uh, Daniels started the season completing more passes this year. Um, You know, that was kind of a knock on him from years past. Completion percentage was hovering around 60%. Um, You know, accuracy was not really his strong point, but the arm is there. The athletic ability is there. Uh, He has struggled a bit, though, the past four games. So we'll see if he can bounce back in a matchup with a Husky secondary that's definitely talented. Uh, it's led by cornerback Trent McDuffie. He's got 20 tackles and three pass breakups this season. He's got decent size. Doesn't quite match some of the top cornerbacks in the class in terms of his size, but his athleticism is up there with anybody. Uh, safety Alex Cook and slot corner Brendan Radley-Hiles also have NFL futures ahead of them. And it's another year and really another talented group of defensive backs under Jimmy Lake and this Washington staff, even though Obviously, Lake is not going to be coaching this weekend. And, and really, who knows about what his future is long-term with the program. But that, that's really neither here nor there, Tony. Break down this matchup for us. Yeah,
0: Jaden Daniels, I, you know, he's a guy who I had high hopes for. I had him as a fourth-rounder coming into the season. Uh, I mean, he's done, he, he's done a better job with his completion percentage, but he doesn't protect the ball well. Seven touchdowns, seven interceptions, As you said, four interceptions in just the past two games, you would have thought that he would have taken advantage of uh, against USC, but he wasn't able to do that. Uh, I'm told there's a very likely possibility that Daniels enters the draft. I'm told he's concerned that there'll be a coaching change at Arizona State. Our guy Herm Edwards may be on his way out. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. There was a lot of mayhem in that uh program before the season, although they are six and three, so we will see what happens. Uh, I think it's best if Jaden Daniels stays in school for another year and really improves from going from thrower to passer. I hope Herm, I hope Herm Edwards is, is able to return another year, he gets another shot because I, I love watching Arizona State play, uh, especially on defense. They are just a punch in the mouth type of uh. Uh, program as far as Washington's concerned you mentioned Trent McDuffie I'm told a uh, good chance that he's going to enter the draft the other guy is Kyler Gordon who uh, I reported last week is going to enter the draft both of those guys get a large variety of opinion within the scouting community uh, both McDuffie and Gordon are graded as late round picks by some scouts and others think they could be day two selections uh Washington has produced a lot of defensive backs uh For the NFL, some of them are going relatively high. It looks like McDuffie and Kyler Gordon are going to be the next two. Uh, A lot will depend on how they play out the rest of the season and how they test right before the draft. Coming into the year, both of these guys, as I said, are juniors, uh, expected them to draft. McDuffie was graded as a second rounder by some scouts, while scouts had Kyler Gordon as a fifth rounder.
1: And that's it for the 211th episode of The Draft Analyst, presented by Bet Online and the Believe Sports Podcast Network. Do you believe? If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms and leave us a rating and a review. And feel free to ask us any questions and give any feedback you may have as well. We'll be back soon to talk more college football and the NFL draft. But until then, for Tony Pauline, this is Chris Crippote. Good night. Thank you for listening
0: to Believe.